The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, Emma. Hi, Kelsey. How are you? I am doing great. My voice is back. Are we hearing Oh now? my gosh, we can hear you. She can speak. It was it was a pretty quiet week. I'm not gonna lie. With you without a voice, it's just not the same. Oh my gosh! No, actually, like I missed talking. And like, well, I was gonna say I'm not much of a talker, and here I am. I have a podcast, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Like I I didn't think I was like a super chatty Kathy, but I was trying to rest my vocal cords, and it was not fun. Please, so maybe I'm chattier than I think. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny. But please. <laughs> Please just paint this picture for me because in my mind, I have you like walking around your house, like writing notes to your family instead (laughs) of talking. Please tell me that's what happened. And in my vision, you're wearing sunglasses for some reason. (laughs) Oh my God. No, the sunglasses remind me of when I got my pupils dilated. Remember? And you came home and I was laying on my bed. In my sunglasses. Oh, oh my gosh, gosh. such a diva. But that is actually scary. I've seen people when they just get their pupils dilated and they look like human frogs. Yeah, it's freaky. I couldn't look myself <laughs> in the mirror. It like freaked me out. But no, it, it didn't get that extreme that I was like writing notes. I was just I was just texting people instead of calling. It, it wasn't really that crazy. Lots of lozenges. Okay. Um, and then when I would talk, it was like a whisper. But I kind of like my voice raspy. So mm-hmm. I don't know, a little bit of narcissism in me was like, oh, I kind of like talking. <laughs> <laughs> How do I keep talking as much as possible to prolong this raspy voice? <laughs> oh, man. It is really nice. I don't know, like, I don't know if it's just me, but every time I have a raspy voice, I feel more confident, which is really weird because I feel like my voice normally is too, like, squeaky. And so it's nice to not have to worry mm-hmm. about that. A little, a little switch up. Although I don't think your voice is squeaky, but Yeah. <laughs> No, I get what you mean. It's like, who yeah. is she? <laughs> who is she? How do we keep her around? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, it's good to have you back. And for podcasting purposes, you know, I like the rasp, but uh, but I think the audio quality is coming back. Yeah, she was a little unpredictable, you know? Like in that last episode, I was like, when I open my mouth, is the sound going to come out? I don't know. <laughs> so it's nice. Nice yeah. to, you know, not worry about that. No kidding. No kidding. So what else is happening in life? Um, Oh, you guys, mommy and daddy still love you, but but the gang is breaking up. Yeah, you guys. Okay, so maybe not everyone knows this, but I think most people do that Kelsey and I are roommates or were roommates when we started this podcast. Um, We lived through the darkest days of the (laughs) November to May lockdown in Toronto together. It was... We've really bonded, but the time has come to go our separate ways, and it's quite sad. It is really sad. I'm actually – I didn't realize, but last week I was feeling so off the whole week. 
And I'm like, why can't I just like get into it? I wasn't motivated. I wasn't whatever. And I was like, honestly, I think I'm nervous about moving out on my own for the first time in literally 27 Mm. years. And it was, it was this weekend when it hit me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually like an exciting thing. Like we don't, you don't need to be worried about something just because it's different. You can literally lean into it and think like, oh, what are all the things that you can do now that you're on your own? But yeah, it is going to be sad not living together. Yeah. It's a weird transition. And I think just, yeah, like there's been so much change in my life over the past few months with leaving my job and being back and forth between Toronto and home. And it's been a lot. I get, yeah, I get that. But here's the good thing. I will come sleep on your couch whenever you want me to. So (laughs) maybe when you don't. (laughs) I'll give you a key. It's an open door policy. But the other thing that I think is going to work in our favor is now we don't have an excuse not to travel. It's not like, oh yeah, well we can just go live or go sit in our living room and record a podcast. Now we can go like remote locations. I'm talking LA. I'm talking Hawaii. I'm talking Miami. You name it. We'll be there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Girls on tour. That's the theme of 2022. As long as Miss Rona (laughs) behaves herself. Um, Yeah, she better get it in gear because this is not how it's supposed to go. Miss Rona has overstayed her goddamn welcome. Yeah, she doesn't get a key. She really doesn't. No, Miss Rona's kicked out. (laughs) Kicked to the curb. (laughs) Okay, anyways. (sighs) Anyways. Should we talk about our podcast guest? Because she was awesome. Yes, let's do it. This is a really fun conversation. She's awesome. Um, lots of personality in this one, especially if you listen to the end, which we love to see. So in today's episode, we interviewed Jamie, who is the co-founder of a company called Sticks. If you're looking at them online, they're called Get Sticks. Um, Get Sticks Co. is their website domain. And then on Instagram, they are Get Sticks um, for their their brand account. And so for the people who don't understand what Sticks is yet, they are an OBGYN approved and discreetly delivered fertility, pregnancy, UTI, and yeast infection product company. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Just what I want to be talking about for a 30-minute podcast. And I promise you... I promise you, this one's a little different. This is like the perfect mashup between a direct-to-consumer brand and, you know, your local pharmacy at two in the morning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we got into some really cool topics. Like she talked a lot about how organic content is huge for them. And I think that's really timely with, you know, the iOS updates and Facebook and Instagram ads not maybe performing as well as they used to. And it's a different angle to take. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's lots of good stuff. Yeah. Tons. And Jamie's just super smart. You can tell like she and her co-founder, Cynthia, they're pretty young. They're like basically the same age as as Emma and I. And they've been in the D2C or in the startup world, I should say, I guess D2C too, for a couple of years and then just realized, hey, it's time to go rip off the Band-Aid and launch this thing. And already in such a short amount of time, they raised pre-seed, they reseed. They're now like expanding content like Emma was just talking about. Like the, the girls are hustling. They're hustling. And honestly, like this is an industry that has needed some help for a long time. So (laughs) I really, yes, I make a joke about maybe it's not that sexy, but I really do love what they're doing. And um, yeah, it was a, this was a good one. It really was. Should we get into it? Let's do it.
Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Jamie Norwood with us, who is one of the co-founders of Styx. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. So are we. So to start off, like we always do, um, we'd love to hear a little bit about where Styx came from, why you started this company. Yeah. So my co-founder, Cynthia, and I were co-workers uh, before this at another direct-to-consumer startup in the produce space, so very different. And being so close to the founders and working in an early-stage company, we we really knew that it was something we one day wanted to do for ourselves. And Cynthia called me a few years ago after a bad experience buying a pregnancy test in the drugstore, mm-hmm. and we were kind of commiserating with each other. And ultimately just realized that there had to be other people experiencing these problems with a lot of health products marketed towards women. So we started working on it. Oh my gosh. This story is actually hilarious and it's on your website. Can you share in more detail about Cynthia's experience at the drugstore? (laughs) Yeah. She ran into her boyfriend's mom buying a pregnancy test. Oh my gosh. It was really embarrassing for her. And, you know, they, they, they're still together. They had been together at that point probably like eight years. So she knows his mom really well. So it wasn't as awkward as it could have been, but um, not ideal. Yeah. Oh still, you'd love to avoid it if you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you two identified that, okay, this is something that there's probably more people who have this problem How did you go about actually determining that that was the case? Yeah. So one of the first things we did is we we kind of like divided it into three different sprints. We wanted to do market research just to see how big this market was and how how far this idea could go. Um, We did customer surveys or like market surveys, I guess, rather. And we put together a ton of questions. I had done a lot of customer research in my last job. So I kind of had like frameworks in mind for that. And we shared them with like everyone and anyone. We posted them on random Slack groups, texted them to like every group text and asked people to share with their group text. So we ended up getting like, a, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly. I think like a thousand results or something. Um, wow. And then we went on to talk on the phone with with a handful of people who took the survey just to kind of dig in a little bit more. So after doing that initial market research, customer research, we kind of like validated as much as you can at that stage that without selling products that there was there was a space here. Wow. Yeah, that is that is powerful stuff. And actually, we brought on another guest in a similar kind of space. Um, they're called Felix Health. And so basically, their company is all about providing birth control and prescription drugs in kind of a direct-to-consumer way. I think you guys are doing something very similar in kind of a different product category. How did you come up with the whole like direct-to-consumer mindset? How did you know that this is going to be a brand, not just a line of products? Yeah. And that company sounds very cool. Um, You know, when we started working on sticks, it was summer or like fall of 2018. And that was when we were seeing a lot of products that we had previously used that weren't great um, being launched by direct-to-consumer brands. So like really cool toothbrushes and mattresses and like Mm -hmm. all of these interesting products that we were, you know, like 
getting targeted for and what they did really well. And also at the time we were working in a direct consumer company. So that was definitely a big influence. Um, and what really got us excited was the relationship with the customer and, you know, knowing that if you could create this really powerful relationship with the customer over like a mattress, let's say health products for women are so deeply personal and the experience is so important and often anxiety inducing. So like, say you take a pregnancy test when you're done taking it, like you're just left with an empty box and it's, it can be really scary or really exciting. And we just kind of thought about how cool that would be if we could own that relationship and really like be there for women and people that use sticks like every step of the way. So it kind of, it started with just a pregnancy test, started being like, oh, let's make this discreet and easy to use, but it's grown and grown and is still growing. And we're now, I think the way we describe it is we um, empower confident health decisions through products education and a space to connect. So education has been a huge part of that. Okay. Yes. So as you mentioned education, and you also mentioned discreet. Um, so those are two things I'm interested in digging in on is, you know, I think these topics around the products that you sell oftentimes aren't spoken about super openly, but they're probably things that people are Googling. So can you talk a little bit about how you approached building a brand around something that is discreet, but like you said, so deeply personal. Yeah, totally. So when we started Sticks, when we were kind of like doing our initial, like how do we want the brand to feel? Um, one of our earliest things that Cynthia and I said was we wanted to be like your confident big sister with a medical degree and like give you answers to all your questions. And the way we started working on that like early, early days is just like with a blog. So we put out some blog articles, but like really at the time we didn't know this information, but now it feels very basic. Like how does my cycle influence my sex drive? And just like a few articles and what we didn't think much about it. I think I wrote them in a coffee shop in like 30 minutes. And what had happened was we were getting so much website traffic from these articles and people were finding wow. them on Google. So like Googling these things about their health that exactly what you were saying, like might, you might not want to ask a friend or a doctor or a family member, but you'll turn to Google. And there wasn't that much, what we came to realize is there weren't that many spaces that women could go to for these answers. Like you have WebMD, which can be really scary and jargony. And then you have like unverified blogs so we kind of have since created this space, we call it the Sticks Library, where we answer, answer your most Googled health questions. And that is actually how we drive most of our website traffic. Yeah, I was actually reading an article um, <laughs> where you were interviewed and you said the ideal customer experience or the most common customer experience definitely comes through the library. And that just kind of blew my mind. So I, I work in content marketing and I live in this world where as a direct to consumer brand, you can go one of two ways. You either take the time and put in the effort to become a content company. Oh yeah. That happens to sell products right in line with the content that you're producing, or you invest heavily in promoting your products through other people's content. So that's your standard affiliate marketing influencer marketing marketing, stuff like that. When you were just starting this out, did you know that you were going to become a content company? No, we definitely didn't. And it, like I said, it kind of just happened naturally. 
I, I always worked in newspapers in high school and college, and I loved to write. So it was kind of something that like we just did on the side. And I don't think we really realized it would be a bit, it would be a big part of our business strategy and growth strategy until probably like a year ago. Mm. Um, and we're still working on it. Like we just hired a head of product and she's amazing. And she's working on creating like a better or replatforming our library. Cause right now we, we just use like a Shopify plugin. Um, mm -hmm. so we're, we're starting to invest in it. It feels like, like we definitely have a lot of content and a lot of articles, but for me, it feels like we're just starting to invest in it. Wow. So lots of room to grow, even though it's already doing so much. That's super exciting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you find that because that's so strong, you're not having to invest as heavily in like, let's say Facebook or Instagram ads or other online channels? We definitely prioritize organic channels. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely do Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Google ads, all that good stuff. But we mm -hmm. try not to rely on it too much. Um, but it's challenging. Like you were saying, you know, kind of had a decision to make. Either we're going to try to grow organically, which starts a little bit slower, but ultimately creates these stronger relationships and I think a more trustworthy brand. But it, it's hard when you know, we are venture backed and we need to grow. So we try to balance mm -hmm. both. I want to learn more about this content machine. So my company that I work for full time, we have just launched a media media arm to our company and it is a ton of work. It is so much work that I cannot believe the people that do it, do it. I want to learn more about like who writes for you and how you build this, basically this, this predictable machine. Yeah. Um, we have a handful of freelance writers um, and a brand marketer who manages them and manages our editorial calendar. We also work with a brilliant SEO consultant and she kind of recommends which keywords we should think about and incorporate. So I'd say half of the library is very like SEO driven, very mm -hmm. technical and half is more editorial. So we're, kind of pitching stories and looking at trends. And it definitely um, does take a lot of time. I will say, I, I just feel like we're starting to give it the time it deserves. So I hope it grows a lot more. I wouldn't say it's at the point where it's predictable yet, but mm -hmm. we definitely rely on it for growth. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's such a great thing to be investing in, especially because, you know, with these iOS updates that are making Facebook yeah. advertising and Instagram advertising not as predictable for a lot of brands, I think it's so nice to have a channel that you more or less own um, a lot more than you would when you're advertising through Instagram and that sort of thing. I think it's a really smart um, business practice for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not a performance marketer and I just don't understand Facebook. Mm -hmm. I, I the like more I try to learn about it, the more confused I get. So Same. I have a lot of respect for people who work in it and for our marketing team, but it's not as clear to me as writing content. <laughs> I'm curious when you when you go to launch a new post, or I guess even before that, right? When you're contracting a freelancer to come write for you, do you pitch them the idea or do they pitch you? We have articles that we then assign to them. Ah, so okay. They don't pitch us. It would be cool if they did. Um, I, I, you know, it has happened. Like we've had people approach us saying like, I want to write about paint during sex. And 
we're all about it. But we have, a, as a team, we have a monthly editorial meeting where we all kind of brainstorm together. Kate, who is on our brand team, then like turns the article, turns the ideas into article headlines and then assigns them out. Ah, interesting. And how do you find your freelancers? Um, mostly people have reached out to us. We've reached out to people. We have a couple of former interns who still write for us. Amazing. Um, a couple of my like friends from the newspaper in college. It's kind of like a hodgepodge. All of our content though is medically reviewed. So there are a couple layers, like the freelancer will write, and then we have a doctor sign off. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay, interesting. To pivot a little bit, you mentioned you're venture-backed, um, and I know you know the venture capital space is largely dominated by men. I think it's slowly improving, but still, I would say very dominated by males. How has this process been getting funding for products that maybe men don't fully understand? Yeah. So we've raised two rounds and the experiences with the first and the second were wildly different. The first Mm. one, we got over a hundred no's, maybe like over 150 no's. And it was really terrible. Um, And like what you were just saying, you know, 99% of the time we're pitching to men and having conversations with men. And then we have to use the bulk of the meeting to explain why there's a problem in the first place. Um, And then there's not as much time left to like explain why it's a valuable business to invest Mm -hmm. in and our traction and all of that. So that was our pre-seed round and it was really challenging. Ultimately we ended up finding awesome people. Um, And then the second go around was in January of this year. So just about six months ago, or I guess longer now, time is moving fast. (laughs) About a half a year ago, um, we raised our seed round and we had about 18 months of traction. So we were able to go out and like, you know, present revenue numbers and customer numbers. And that was so much easier. We like finished it in three weeks compared to like the long grueling pre-seed round. That's amazing. Why, when you were developing this initially, why choose to go the VC route? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. We talked about that a lot and kind of grappled with that because we were at a startup before this that didn't raise VC Mm. money. Now they have since, but at the time they didn't. So we kind of saw both. Um, And ultimately we, we knew that it was such like, it, it was such a great space to be in and it felt like the timing was right. And if we didn't do it, someone else would. So we really just, decided to go all in. Um, And we did an accelerator program the summer of 2019. Um, And that was really what like, I feel like before we did that program, we didn't even know the half of what to expect. And they really helped us through all the different stages and best routes to take. So yeah. Hmm. What was the accelerator? It was called Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator in New York. Okay. And then I also saw when I was doing a little bit of research that you did Venture for America too. Yes. Yes. Ah, cool. That's how we met each other. And um, when we started, when we had the idea for Sticks, the FA did a validation challenge. And that was like, that. we used their framework for all of our customer research. So they have been 
so helpful. Both of both VFA and ERA like sticks wouldn't exist without them. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up doing Venture for Canada, which is VA's oh. Canadian counterpart, <laughs> as, as the title may suggest. And it's really funny because our program ended up taking a bit of a different turn. We weren't so much like an incubator accelerator. We were more of like a talent pool. And so we had this big boot camp where people came in and taught you everything from like coding to customer experience to email marketing, like all of the skills basically that someone would need to know going into yeah. an early stage startup. Um, maybe you could share a little bit more about the experience because I'm sure most of our audience has no idea what VA is all yeah. about. Maybe share a little bit more about the experience and what you took from it. Yeah, definitely. And that's so cool. You did Venture for Canada. Mm -hmm. um, I loved VFA. It is so VFA is a fellowship program for recent grads who want to work at a startup. They basically exactly what you just said. We did a boot camp right after graduation where there was like 150 of us um, and they brought in experts and we did pitch competitions and like all that kind of stuff. And then everyone goes and works at a startup. Um, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, I did VFA in 2015, so I can't really speak for what the experience is like now. But um, I went on to work at a startup in Baltimore, which is, and, and Cynthia worked there too. And it was just a really great experience because, you know, after college, you are expected to get a job and move somewhere and you might not know people. And with VFA, you're moving within a community and everyone's working in similar spaces and has similar interests. So it was just kind of this like cool way to enter the world and mm -hmm. have a lot of like minded people. Um, and I learned a lot, like I still am really close with a lot of the VFA fellows and a lot of them have started companies and, um, we ask for help on things all the time. And a lot, I made a lot of good friends through the program too. So it is a great, great thing to do if you are in school and interested in working at a startup. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I actually was just on the VFC podcast and they were like, so what was the best part about VFC? Like, what did you retain from the boot camp? I'm like, uh, <laughs> that yeah. was so long ago. I don't remember any of it. And also when I was a new grad, I didn't have the context. I may have learned this stuff, but I didn't understand how it applied to the real world. And so I completely agree with you for me the network was everything and I still catch up with a bunch of the people. So I did mine 2016, just the year after okay. you. And yeah, and it was amazing. Then now that I like, you know, I learned all this stuff, but it went in one year out the other. Now I just ask the other fellows the questions that I would have had from the information yeah. I learned. And you're still getting to the same end result now with this totally. huge network. Totally. I remember they did an Excel training and I was sitting there like, I did not know what a VLOOKUP meant and I just couldn't learn. <laughs> and then once you have to do it for work, you just figure it out. And literally, you know, but um, it was, it was a great experience. And also like I, Cynthia and I, I don't think would be able to have, we wouldn't have started sticks if we didn't have experience working at Hungry Harvest, which is the yep. startup we worked at before this, just because you learn so much at an early stage company. And mm -hmm. I don't know how people do it without that experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely. I think even like Kelsey and I met when we were working at Shopify. And at that point, we were in Shopify Plus, which was kind of like a startup within this bigger company. Mm -hmm. um, but even just the exposure we got with meeting with different entrepreneurs and learning about businesses, it completely opened my world to 
what a career could look like and what businesses could be built. Like there was just so many things that I never had exposure to. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life's work really, because before that I just didn't know people were doing these really cool things. So I definitely relate to that. Um, And I know we were just saying that, you know, you think back to these experiences and you don't really remember the learnings. (laughs) It's more the network, but I'm curious, you said from the entrepreneurial entrepreneurs round table that there were so many things that you learned that kind of were the make or break for sticks or sticks wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those learnings. Do you remember any of those? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Let me think. We, so ERA was um, like a five or six month program. And it was like very like all day, every day, everyone was in the room together and you get a mentor. So (laughs) unfortunately my answer is kind of like the people, like we, we got this really great mentor we learned so much but one thing that they really did a good job on was they like split it up between kind of like validating the business and then the next phase was getting some traction and then the next phase was about raising money so um we had these like friday kpi sessions where you would get up in front of everyone and report on like so if our kpi is revenue we'd report on like what we did in revenue that week why what we learned what we didn't and they just really like held us accountable to growing Mm -hmm. um and they taught us a lot i guess one tactical thing that they really taught us a lot about was testing so like testing literally like every single thing we put on our website every email every ad um trying to understand what value props resonate with what types of people who our customer is and it's funny because that was now two years ago we're starting to kind of do that again now that we've grown so much and our customer looks yeah. different than who she was two years ago. So like we were just pregnancy tests when we did ERA. Now we have ovulation tests, prenatals, UTI products, yeast infection products. And we've been so focused on growing that we've, we need to take a step back and we're doing that now and, and trying to understand product market fit now that we've grown so much. Oh, I love this. So for me, coming from like the performance marketing side of things, when you say testing, I immediately think A-B testing ads. When you say testing, what do you mean? Um, So A-B testing ads is a part of it. We also, I mean, A-B testing, you can, we, we do on pricing, we do on headlines, button sizes, colors, like all this stuff. But what I was kind of talking about is coming up with all the different value props for what sticks could mean to someone. Like, you know, are we, do we want to be the discreet? I don't know if you're putting like privacy versus science backed or um, affordable versus delivered quickly, like whatever, and just finding out what people care about. So kind of testing different messaging. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I love this. I think that's so smart. And I think, yeah, you get this idea in your head of like, oh, this is the business we're starting in. This is what people want. But it's, yeah, you don't know until you try. So I love this. Can you talk about how your customer inputs feed into that? I know you still to this day have really close relationships with your customers and use them Mm -hmm. to kind of get an understanding of things. What does that whole process look like? Yeah. um, Well, we have a wonderful customer experience uh, teammate, Rosella, and she pretty much focuses all of her time on customer research and talking with customers. 
and distilling those insights back to the team. And then we also have a head of product who just started and she's been doing a lot of customer interviews to build our roadmap. Um, so we pretty we have two people who are very focused on learning about who our customers are, how they're changing. We do surveys at different points at, during the customer's life cycle. So like post-purchase, you'll get a survey. We do quarterly surveys, all that good stuff. Um, so kind of the basics. And then um, one thing that as a team we do, we, we started doing recently is like anytime we have a meeting, there's only nine of us on the team, but anytime we have a meeting, the nine of us, we start it with a customer insight. And on <gasps> Fridays, we do this big um, like weekly insights meeting and there's a big customer section there. So try to keep everyone very much in the loop. And Rosella has started like recording obviously with people's consent, we'll do interviews and she'll record little like nuggets from the interview and present the customer nugget of the week. And it's like this really fun thing that everyone looks forward to. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I think so many people think that customer interviews are one person's job and that's probably customer service, just trying to see if they solve their issue. What kinds of things are you learning from these customer insights? Um, All kinds of things, you know, we'll ask about their experience, what, problems they've had when it comes to their health, um, what products they need, but don't have good options for also just like demographic information, like who they are, what their lives are like, um, all sorts of things. It kind of depends. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think it's really good, especially with smaller teams to have a really intimate knowledge of how, what you're doing impacts the customers and literally the people who are keeping this business afloat. When you think of, you know, sticks over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, how do you see that changing? Um, our relationship with our customers. Yeah. And your team and how you, even as you guys scale as a company, how you maintain yeah. that really close relationship with your customers. Yeah. Um, it definitely get well, it definitely gets more difficult as we grow when it was just Cynthia and me, like we kind of knew everything. And now that we have a director of supply chain, like she might not hear a lot of customer feedback every day and you know, that, that can be okay. So I think just keeping a culture of putting the customer first and making sure that we're all paying a lot of attention to what our customer experience and product people are learning, um, It definitely gets harder. Like when, you know, our earliest customers, we, they got really used to giving us feedback because like in the very, very early days, we would call everyone after every single order. And now like, Mm -hmm. you know, you, as we grow and, you know, as a consumer, I'm sure you get surveys from brands all the time. Like I never really want to take them. So now I do obviously, because I, I've tried to put out that good karma into the world, but just kind of accepting (laughs) that we're not going to know everything about every customer and just trying to, you know, keep that to heart and make sure that the culture stays and grows with us. Uh, It's definitely easier said than done. It's hard. Yeah, no, I believe it. I think, yeah, as you scale, it gets more and more complex, but I definitely, I love that you're focusing on really knowing your customers and making sure your team knows your customers. I think that can be such a make or break for businesses. And it sounds like you're taking all the right steps. As our interview winds down, we like to do a little hot take section. So just some quick rapid fire questions um, to finish us up. So first up, what are you reading right now? 
Oh, I'm reading um, not business related, but I'm getting up to read the title because I forgot. The Secret History by Donna Tart. Okay. What's it about? It is about a murder on a New England college campus. <laughs> I hope it's not based on a true story. <laughs> I don't think it is. It's like a mystery. It, it, you know, do you guys know The Goldfinch? Oh, yeah. yes. It's by the author of The Goldfinch and a friend oh, recommended. Oh. I wish I was reading like a business book right now, but <laughs> no, I like that you're not. I like that you're not, but it is funny. I think so many people, especially friends of mine, are into true crime. And like when I say into true crime, I mean like obsessed with true crime. And I get scared over everything and I'm just paranoid as a person. So that is a genre I will, you know, not even touch with a 10 yeah. I'm usually not into it either. Um, but I like this author, so we'll see. I, I just started. I'm like 30 pages in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fingers crossed for the rest of the book. The next <laughs> question is, what's a brand other than your own, of course, that you're loving right now? Ooh. Um, I'm overthinking it now. I'm, I'm looking at <laughs> the Malgon sea salt that I have on my um, counter, and I really love it. And it has beautiful packaging. And it makes food taste better. So I'll say that. Oh, I love it. I love those little things in the kitchen that like make or break meals or just make them yeah. so much more enjoyable. Yeah. This salt. I mean, I didn't think salt could taste this good. It's, it really makes a difference. So. <laughs> no, it does. It really does. I love Emma Chamberlain. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's one of my favorite mm-hmm. YouTubers. And I was watching her vlog last night. Kelsey will laugh because she knows I'm obsessed with mm-hmm. Emma Chamberlain. But she really is. <laughs> but in her vlog last night, she was saying how at restaurants, when they put pickled onions on things, it just makes everything taste better. And so she made them at home. I was like, that mm-hmm. is so true. It's like those little things that you can pick up on. Oh, sorry for yeah. my dog barking. Um, I love it. Okay, next question. What's one thing you just don't understand? I think Charlie wanted to weigh in on this one. <laughs> she did. Um, <laughs> One thing I don't understand is cryptocurrency, and oh, yep. I've been people try to explain it to me all the time, and I just zone out. I can't. <laughs> I can't even try to understand, nor do I want to. I <laughs> <so> yes, <laughs> I completely agree. That's something I've been trying to learn about, yeah. and just the whole concept. Like, I think I get a grasp and then someone will ask me a question about it. I'm like, oh, yes. I actually have no idea. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's so funny you say it that way. Cause I was literally explaining it to a friend of mine who's in a completely different industry the other day. And I was realizing as I was explaining it, that I have no sweet clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think yeah. anyone really knows. I mean, maybe I feel like I <laughs> largely like abstractly, I get it, but I can't really talk about it. And Yeah. Yeah. And I see the value and I see from an investor's perspective how like enticing it is. So I get the business application, but in terms of the technology and the blockchain and how it can't be hacked and all that stuff, way over my head. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Last question. And then you've made it through the rapid fire round. Who do you think gets it? Okay. I thought about this. And (laughs) I will say um, my friend and fellow founder Alyssa Petersell. She is the founder of My Wellbeing, which is a like mental health. They they match you with therapists and she has <sighs> she has such good business advice and she's a great person and I go to her a lot. 
Emma. Cool. Yeah, yeah, check them out. Yes, I'll have to look into it. Um, I'm actually in my master's in psychology right now, so, oh, so right cool. up my alley. Oh, yeah, you should definitely talk with her. And she does a lot of um, cool stuff with content, too. Oh, cool. Okay. Great, great recommendation. This is why I love doing this section because we learn about new people all the time. So, <laughs> so great. Yep. Exactly. And last, last piece, where can people find you? Yes, at getsticks.com, G-E-T-S-T-I-X. Um, and then our Instagram is also at getsticks. Oh, we love a consistent brand, don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> Well, this has been so much fun, Jamie. We love sticks. You've got forever fans on the other end of this podcast. And we wish you all the best as you continue to grow sticks. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I don't know. That was literally like the fastest 30 minutes of podcasting conversation. I just flew by. I agree. Um, The hot takes were fun. I like the hot takes. You guys, if you liked the hot takes, go to our Instagram underneath this post for this episode and drop us a comment. Let us know what other hot takes questions you want to hear. Yeah, it's fun to like incorporate more lifestyle kind of questions to get to know our guests a little better. Totally. And everyone's so funny. Like, yes, they're great entrepreneurs and they're like amazingly talented founders, but they're also just like genuinely good humans. I mean, I'm sure there are some entrepreneurs out there that maybe don't get that title, but all the people we've had on the podcast are literally people I would hang out with. And so this is a nice way to get to know them. Mm -hmm. I agree. Love it. I think in terms of like takeaways and what I would apply to my business after listening to this episode, I think there's a, a gentle reminder, but a really important reminder here about the value of earned versus paid content, right? And I feel like I'm sometimes sucked into the vortex of spending a crazy amount of money on ads and always playing the performance game. But I think what's so special about Sticks and their content strategy is like they're in a category where there is not a lot of like this direct to consumer or consumer centric competition. Is CVS writing articles about painful sex? Probably not. And so it's awesome to see them kind of take hold of this part of the market and really fill a gap. Yes, completely. I think it is. Like, it's it's such a good point, um, especially yeah, in the age of, like, owned media, I think is it's important to have that channel. Absolutely. Totally. Another big takeaway for me is it's all about who you know. And when I say that, it reminds me of Step Brothers. When he's like, oh, I'm going to join the family business. He's like, you're a medical doctor. And he goes, oh, it's all about who you know. But it, <laughs> that's exactly it actually, what it is. <laughs> but it actually is. You know, when she talks about the freelancer she has, she built connections yeah. when she worked at a newspaper. And so she had these freelancers. Um, and then, you know, these different incubator programs she was in and the people she was able to meet through that are actually potentially more value valuable than what you're actually learning. And I just think it's make such a good case for building a strong network and keeping those connections um, really just like as friendships. Like when I think of a bunch of people I've met throughout my career, they're my friends. And they're also oh, yeah. people who are smart that I go to for advice. And it's, yeah. uh, it's great. It is great. Okay. That's a challenge. You guys, everyone that's listening, if you don't feel like you have a good like entrepreneurial or a, a friend group or a network of people that you can go to, to ask like business advice and career advice, 
go on Instagram, search by hashtag, look at who's following who and just find people to at least start watching from a distance. And then maybe one day you'll work up the courage to like send them a DM or ask a question or whatever it is. But life is too short to go through every hurdle on your own. You need this network of people to help basically create shortcuts for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like, so many people meet their romantic partners through Instagram, the classic follow, <laughs> chuck three likes, reply to a story. Why can't you do that classic. with business connections too? Find yep. people who you, um, yeah, who you like their business, you think they're inspiring and do that and you'll be surprised. Yeah, it's true. And as like founders too, like having other founders there to support, like we, especially some of our early guests, I feel like we haven't asked about this recently, but so much of their customer acquisition comes from collabs with other like similar brands. And so, yeah, huge tip, pro tip, love to see it. Hot tip, hot tip for the crew. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, we will... Love you and leave you for this week. Um, <laughs> please go ahead and check us out on Instagram if you would like at they.get.it. We love building our community over there as well and getting to know you. We love our little DM chats we have with some of you. So keep them coming. Keep them coming and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.